0: A friend Andy. He's one of those guys who is good at everything he does. And when I say good, I mean excellent. I mean don't you just hate people like that? It seems like everything comes so easy for them. He's athletic, he's smart, you know the type. Andy is also adventurous. He leads me and other friends on these epic journeys. We explore caves and mountains, hiking trails, anything that gets us outside. And when we sit down and we plan out our trip, whether it's caving or hiking, all my buddies, they've got all these maps out and they're all looking for our route and they're trying to make a plan, and talking about landmarks that we're looking for and places we want to make sure that we see. And they always ask me, don't you want a map, Kevin? And my answer is always the same. I'm following Andy. You see, I trust Andy. He's always the smartest guy in the room and he's always gotten me home. I'm not worried about what route we're taking or any of that. I'm just gonna follow the guy who I know knows the way. And that's what this series is about. It's about believing with all of our heart, with everything in us that God knows the best way, the best path and not some newfangled path, but the ancient one that's been around from the beginning of time, the path of trust, the path that we walk together, and the path of repentance. In Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says, "'Stand at the crossroads and look. "'Ask for the ancient path. "'Ask where the good way is, and walk in it, "'and you will find rest for your souls. "'But you said, we will not walk in it.'" We are looking for the ancient path. Or we're searching for the good way. And you can scour maps. And you can search for the right way that you should go. Or you can simply follow the path marked out for you by your Creator God. On trails and in caves, I'm following Andy. But in life, I'm following the ancient paths laid out for me by God. Today, we look at the path of repentance. That may seem like a strange path, but from the beginning of man's time here on earth, we have been in a never-ending cycle of walking away from God. God, however, has been constantly calling us back, calling us to turn around and return to Him through the path of repentance. I'll be honest, repentance might just be the churchiest word you will hear us use all year. The phrase most often connected with repentance is the phrase, turn around. And while this does capture part of the biblical usage of repentance, it does not capture it in its entirety. There are two Greek words used for repentance in the New Testament. One less often used, epistropho, does mean to turn around. The more common used Greek word is metaneo, and it means to change your mind. There's a great example of this playing out in Acts 3.19, where we see both words used in the same verse. Repent, metaneo, then and turn to God, epistropho, so that your sins may be wiped out, that time of refreshing may come from the Lord. It wouldn't make sense for the verse to read repent then and repent. But on occasion both words are used in the New Testament for the word repent. I tell you all this to lay the groundwork for what we're talking about today when we talk about repentance. Acts 3:19 captures repentance in its entirety for us. It's a mental act of changing your thinking, changing your heart, followed by a change In your actions here's what i know any change that takes place in my life any real shift in how i live it begins in my heart and it begins with my thoughts as we explore this ancient path of repentance we will look at both a turning around and a changing of the heart while both are important we'll see that both lead us to experience the grace that jesus offers That's today's big idea. The path of repentance leads to receiving grace. God's people in the Old Testament would wander. They would stray away from following God's law and would really forget about Him during certain seasons of life. God would use prophets to send messages to the people to remind them of who God was. The call was always to turn back to God. It was a call to repentance. In Ezekiel chapter 18, God speaks to his people through the prophet Ezekiel to tell the people that if they turn back to God, they will live. Look at it with me. But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins that they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them because of the righteous things they have done. They will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Even in the Old Testament, before Jesus, Before the grace His death brings, God lays the groundwork for repentance and how repentance leads to life. If repentance is the act of turning, both mentally and physically, grace is receiving something we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's love. We receive it anyway. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We receive it anyway. That's grace. Repentance leads us to grace. Not because we earn it, but because it's part of the process that puts us in a right relationship with God. Look at Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land." I want you to think about a time in your life when you've been convicted to turn from a sin. This passage helps give us some guidance into what an act of repentance might look like. Humble. Step one is about admitting you were wrong. It takes a humble spirit to admit that you made a mistake, to admit that you were wrong. Humility is a hard step. But it's a necessary step in the act of repentance. Pray. I think this step gets overlooked. It's not our own strength that we're leaning on. We're relying on God's strength. Going to God in prayer helps us place our full trust in Him. Seek God's face. We're not just turning away from sin. We're turning to God. Plenty of people quit bad habits or stop doing things they know they shouldn't do. It's that we seek to be closer to God. That's the path we're on. That's who we want to follow. Turn from sin. I love how in this verse, the turn comes last. It comes after we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. It helps to show that for real life change to happen, for a true turn, It comes as a part of a process. Sin means to miss the mark. And when it comes to following God's standard, we all miss the mark. Recognizing it and working to avoid it is all a part of the process of repentance. The path of repentance is a call from God to His people to turn from sin. It's not just a physical turn, but it begins in our mind and in our heart. It's a recognition that change needs to take place and then action that follows. That leads us to where God wants to lead us. There's a story in the Old Testament that I want us to look at as we talk about repentance. It's found in Joshua chapter 2 and it's about a woman named Rahab. I want to give you some context or set up this story for you. You know, I work on these messages for weeks in my mind before I ever put them on paper. A few weeks ago, I was working through this part in my head. I was basically just walking through how I would set up this account about Rahab and what we find in Joshua, the how did we get here part. And after a while, I realized that in my mind, I had just covered about half of the Old Testament. And I realized that, you know what, that's not going to work. So let's try to simplify the setup. God gave a promise to Abraham. that From him, he would create a nation of people and that they would have access to a promised land. He was going to be their God and they would be his children. For a few generations, Abraham's family lived in the promised land. But famine and some bad choices lead them to Egypt. For years, God's people, the Israelites, found a home in Egypt. But one day, the Pharaoh of Egypt realized just how many Israelites there were, and he feared that maybe they would take over. So he made them all slaves. For 400 years, the Israelites lived in Egypt as slaves. Moses comes and frees the slaves and leads them out of Egypt. More bad choices and 40 years of wandering in the desert, Moses dies And Joshua is now in charge. God wants his people to reclaim the promised land. only problem is it's being occupied by those who do not recognize God as the one true God. They live these selfish lives. And Joshua will lead his people to reclaim this promised land. And that's where we're at in Joshua chapter 2. City by city, God's army is reclaiming the promised land. Yeah. That's the simple version. So Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. She had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax. She had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab is the focus of our story today. She's described as a prostitute here. There's a debate as to whether the Hebrew word that is translated here refers to her as a harlot, one who commits infidelity, or as an innkeeper. I'd say there's a slight difference there, but it could also be differentiated that it's whether she worked in the house or she simply ran it. Here's what we do know. She's lived near the wall of Jericho, and the king of Jericho knows she's housing these men. But instead of turning them over, she hides them on a roof. Not only that, but she sends them searching in the wrong direction for God's men. Why would she do this? Well, she's heard about God. And she's heard about what God has been doing. Look at what she says to the spies. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. God's been up to something and is causing Rahab to think. Real change starts in the heart. It starts in the mind. Rahab is considering a change in direction. Now she asks the spies for something. Uh, Look at the text with me. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land." Rahab is looking to be saved, and she's making a deal. I mean, how often do you talk to God like this? God, just heal this person. Just fix this problem. Just forgive me this one time and I'll do anything. I'll be better. When I think about a time in my life that I've truly repented, truly had a change of heart and of action, I've been looking for salvation. I've been looking for grace. The path of repentance leads to receiving grace. Rahab lived in a pagan world. But she had seen and heard about the power of the Lord. She knew God was the only chance that she had at life. We don't hear much about Rahab and Joshua other than the men keeping their promise to her. But in the New Testament, she's mentioned a few more times. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. In it, the author points out moments of faith from the Old Testament that brought about life. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Hebrews 11:31. The Israelites crossed the Jordan into Canaan and attacked the city of Jericho. The city was destroyed with only Rahab and her family spared. Ultimately, Rahab married Salmon, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. Her son was Boaz, the husband of Ruth. Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, is in her direct descendants. Rahab was not a likely candidate for a hero of the faith. She was a prostitute in a corrupt pagan city that was under God's condemnation. Spiritually, Rahab was not in an ideal circumstance to come to faith in God. However, Rahab had heard that Israelites were God's chosen people. Her actions to save the spies and align with God saved her and her family. When it comes to following God and following the path to repentance, your past doesn't matter. Where you come from doesn't matter. Your family doesn't matter. Your degree, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of reasons Rahab to feel like she doesn't measure up, like she can't, like that God can't use her. But thousands of years later, people still talk about her actions. Her family tree has blessed the world. I don't care how long you've been walking down the wrong road, how long you've been down the wrong path, God calls all of us to turn, to change, to experience the full life that only He can provide. Repentance in the English dictionary brings up words like remorse and sorrow. And maybe that's what you've always associated with the word repent. Guilt. That sick feeling when you know you've done something wrong. Well, biblical repentance has two parts. Matineo, a changing of your mind. And epistrophe, turning to God. This is a moment for every one of us a look-in-the-mirror moment, a soul-searching moment, to consider what changes we need to make in our life, what sins have been holding us down, holding us back, to have a change happen in our heart and to have a change happen in our direction. Rahab saved her life and her family's life through her obedience, through her faith. The path of repentance leads to receiving grace. I love what Romans 6 says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life." Why would you choose to continue to live in your sin? Leave that behind you. Leave that in the past. Leave that in the rear view. We are moving forward. We're moving on. And God has amazing things in store for us. World-changing things. And sin, it only holds us back. Sin only holds us down. Through baptism, God offers full life in Jesus. And if you have never made a decision to be baptized, please reach out to us. You can learn more about baptism by emailing ksmith at thewcc.com. Your action step is clear, but it is not easy. I'm calling all of us to repent of the sins that's dragging us down, to the sin that robs us of freedom, that robs us of life. Change your mind and turn to God. The path of repentance leads to grace. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Son, Jesus. God, help us to turn from the sins that we're committing and to turn our mind and our hearts back to you. God, help us and give us the strength to live the life that you're calling us to. Help us to be the people that we're called to be. Help us to walk the path that you've led for us. Jesus, thank you for the salvation and the forgiveness that you offer, for the grace that we have through you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.